thank you for being here this morning. We're going through Haggai in Sunday school, and we're in chapter 1 currently. While you are turning there, let me remind you of what we have covered so far very quickly, and then we'll pick up where we left off. God allowed Judea to go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years, and at the end of that captivity, the Persians came in and overthrew uh, the Babylonians. Cyrus, the king of Persia, issued a decree that the Jews could return to the land and begin building the temple again. Things get off to a good start, but just as soon as there was political pressure, they gave up. They used that as some kind of an idea that it must not be God's will because we're facing resistance. And so they stopped building the house of God. And for years, it just laid waste. During that time, when they stopped doing the work that they should have been doing, they began to invest heavily into their own houses, into their own work, instead of doing what God had intended them to do. And remember, they were using those resources to build what the Bible calls sealed houses. And that word for sealed means it was very costly materials. It was uh, something that was being adorned. And those were things that should have been happening at the, at the temple. Now, God isn't against us having a house. Amen. Aren't you glad? Um, he's not against that. But as we provide for our families, God doesn't want us wasting resources in the process. Would you agree with that? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be something extravagant. And so these lavish dwellings that they were building was during the time that the house of God was lying waste. And so God sends his prophet named Haggai to get the people refocused, get back to work, to rebuilding the temple. And, and God, through Haggai, asked this question, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? Is it time for you? And we, we spent a whole week considering that phrase, Is it time for you? What's more important than the work of the Lord? And then God says twice in, in what we're about to read, Consider your ways. And I believe the emphasis for us is, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. Because there's a lot of tertiary issues that uh, will grab our attention. But we have to keep the main thing the main thing. This life isn't about us and all that we can get through temporal gain on this temporal earth. We came into this world with nothing and it's certain we're leaving with nothing. Is it time for us? We must consider our ways. Remember that our ways is our course of life. It's a well-trodden path. It's something that has trajectory to it. We can kind of see where we're going there and, uh, and where we've been. And that's, that's the path that we're on. And we have to consider what are the consequences of us being on our course of life. The, the course that we've decided to walk, where is it going to lead us? We saw last week in verse 6, we're still recapping here, 
that what God wanted them to consider was how they were sowing much, but only bringing in little. Um, They ate, but they were not full. They drank, but their thirst was not quenched. They had clothes, but they were not warmed. And they had money, but it went in one hand and out the other. Remember that they were doing all of this labor, but what they should have been doing uh, as they would get increase was in turn honor God with the first fruits by going to the house of the Lord. Where are they taking their first fruits if the house of God is lying in ruins? And, and not, not only that, the priests were not functioning as they should, should have. And the priests were not being taken care of from the offerings because there was no place to bring them. Anyway, there's, there's a spiral here that if we're not careful, one thing leads to another, leads to another. And next thing you know, we're, we're way off track. And so God says again there in verse 7, consider your ways. We're going to read this text here in a minute. But the fact is, God knows how to take care of us better then we know how to take care of us. And I'm glad for that because I have made a lot of dumb decisions financially. I remember when Adrian and I were first married, we were like, hey, you want to go to Red Lobster? Yeah, we got any money? No, but I got this thing called a credit card. <laughs> What's the interest rate? Don't worry about it, baby. We live in large tonight. <laughs> Joy in the night. Weeping comes in the morning. <laughs> still paying five dollars a month (laughs) those were some good times amen Mm -hmm. Uh, at least i know how to counsel young people on their finances now um you understand what i'm saying consider your ways um but we need to honor god with our our first fruits god knows how to take care of us but to experience that we have to honor god with our money our increase, um, whatever that increase is, in, in today's society, it's mainly money. And it could be that you're constantly struggling because you don't trust God enough to honor Him with your first fruits. Even though you may be laboring and, and sowing much, you always seem to bring in little. The Bible says, consider your ways. Now, hopefully you've found Haggai by now. That's why I did a slow introduction. Let's look at verses 2 through 11 as we get started this morning. Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house, 
Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. And so here's Judah, they're, they're dwelling in their fancy houses while the rebuilding of the house of God is being forsaken. And they're also laboring in the fields by sowing much, but they're not seeing much of, a, of an increase, of a harvest. They're told to consider their ways. And then God says in verse 8, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. What's the remedy for their lack of blessing upon the land? It's to get back to work with what you should have been doing all along. Amen. They're not bringing in much. They're sowing all this seed. They're not seeing a good return. And the solution, the answers to their problems is get back to work. Get back to doing what you should have been doing all along. Boy, that sounds simple. God's not trying to complicate this thing. So many believers get sidetracked as soon as there's opposition. They begin to withdraw, and then they wonder, where did it all go wrong? Where's God? Where's all the blessings that I'm supposed to be enjoying? (laughs) But they never seem to understand that the problem is they have forsaken God and the work of God in their lives. And what's sad is the more they struggle, the more they backslide further and further away. And it's because they stopped doing what they should have been doing all along. It's a downward spiral. And then all of a sudden, they no longer darken the door of the church. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't give. They don't care about souls. And there's always an excuse on why they can't make it to church. And if you want an excuse, the devil will give it to you. I mean, I tried this morning, but kind of got to be here. And what God is trying to say to their heart is this. Get up, get back to work. Get up, get back to work. Get back to work for my glory. Get back to doing what I've called you to do in the first place. Stop focusing so much on you and start focusing on me. God says to Judah, go up to the mountain, bring wood, and build the house. If you want my blessings, you have to build the temple. That's what God is saying. This is what God takes pleasure in. This is how God would be glorified upon the earth. It's pleasing to God and it glorifies God when we are about the Father's business. I remember the first message I ever preached. (laughs) I thought it was going to last a while. Anyway, 
uh, a little over 20 years ago, are you pleasing God? Are you pleasing God? I didn't use this text because I don't even think I could have found Haggai (laughs) 20 years ago, much less preach a sermon from it. (laughs) Don't act like you ain't been there before. But I did use John 8, 29. Jesus said, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that please him. If you're, is your life pleasing to God this morning? Is it pleasing to God? Are your efforts glorifying God? If not, get back to work serving him. Get back to work for him. They were released from captivity to rebuild the house of God. And guess what? We've been released from captivity to build the house of God. Ask yourself today, would God take pleasure in you as he looks upon your life? Is God being glorified with your life? Or are you in the group of laborers who so much but bring in little? Are you forsaking the work of God? I, I notice, you know, it isn't enough just to sit and look like a polished Sunday morning Christian. That's not how we please and glorify God. I wish it was. I'd wear nothing but suits, but I hate wearing suits. But Brother Furs mentored me that I need to look like the man. You said something like that. I can't remember what you said. I said, brother, I can do that in my overhauls. <laughs> you got me hooked on saying that now. Um, Ken said his dad always says overhauls instead of overalls. <clears throat> all right, we'll edit all that. But anyway, I, I see here in our text, it's not enough to just sit there and look like a good Christian to please and glorify God. But it takes work. It takes work. It takes labor. Coming to church and just sitting there isn't working for God. This is our rallying point. This is where we're supposed to come together as a family, uh, get charged, get challenged, get changed, and get out there and do something for God. Now, I'm glad people work that are, that are here, um, but not everybody does. And so I just want you to understand, um, just sitting in here is not working. The work of God is hard, and it can be messy work. Get up to the mountain, chop down some trees, and build the house. That sounds like backbreaking work to me. They didn't have those cool machines that we see today where it's like it just grabs the, this claw grabs the tree, and it just, and the saw just goes through that thing in like a second. You seen those things that I'm talking about? I mean... I'd love to operate one of those just once. I take that pole out right there. And so it's backbreaking work. It's sweaty work. It requires uh, to move. And I unintentionally, I, I don't ever mean to do this because I believe me, I am not smart enough. But this unintentionally parallels last Sunday night's message arise and go. Go up to the mountain. Man, I know preachers, I got to say this now, it just popped in my head. Uh, they will actually write their sermons for an entire year over a course of about two weeks. And I'm like, man, 
Um, well, you are like, you must have special powers. Anyway, I can't do that. So all of this is unintentional in my life. I just start the next week. Okay, what do I got to do today? Um, so I believe God is trying to tell us, get back to the main thing being the main thing. And we could look at a church like ours, and we could conclude that we're doing pretty well. But are we reaching souls for Christ? Chances are we're going to have a full house this morning. That's been the trend. Yeah, amen. But when's the last time we went out trying to win someone for Christ? Is God really pleased with us? Is God really being glorified? I would say yes in some areas, and I would say no in others. We have to get to work. I'm so glad for everything we've been able to accomplish around here this summer. I mean, it's, it's almost like I just want to pump the brakes for a minute because it's been coming, coming at us pretty fast. And I want to be sensitive to that because I don't want you to think the next move is we're putting in a drum and all this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> I knew that guy was going to take this church down the wrong street. Nothing like that. But anyway, where am I at here? But I am thankful for all of that. But if the primary goal in what we do as a church body isn't to reach souls, then what's the point? I believe we're missing it if we don't have that focus. Now, reaching souls can be hard work. I haven't seen many people come in here with their, uh, you know, keychain full of all the people they've won to Christ. It, it's hard work. And, and it's, not, it's not, listen, let me just be clear before somebody gets the wrong impression. We're not the one who does the saving. We just plant, we just water, we trust God for the increase. So I understand all that. But it is hard work. We have to go out. Not with an axe in hand, but with the sword of the Lord, which is the word of God. And we need to proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. And as we see sinners saved by grace, here's what the Bible teaches. They become living stones that are used to build up a spiritual temple. Is everybody with me? God was going to be pleased and glorified with Judah as they rebuilt the temple. And God today will be glorified and pleased with us as we get to work building His temple. Are you catching the application? It's not this physical building. God does not dwell in buildings made with hands. But building the temple of believers, that's where he dwells, where he is the chief cornerstone. He dwells where we assemble together as a body. We are a building for God. In fact, individually, we're, we're temples of the Holy Ghost. 1 Peter 2, 5 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 say, 
Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit." We are to be building the temple of God, which we are. When's the last time your work for God added a lively stone to his temple? When is the last time you went forth with the sword of the word of God in your hand to win someone for the Lord? Tell somebody else about Christ. Are you actively building the temple of the Lord? God was telling Judah, get back to work at the main thing. Man, I'm thankful for the ministries we have around here. But if we don't keep souls at the center of our focus, we're missing it. We must trust God for the increase. This is what is pleasing to God. This is what glorifies God. Think about this. What glorifies God more than a sinner coming to Christ? I mean, even the angels in heaven rejoice. God told them to go up to the mountain and bring wood. And we must go out and bring them in. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house might be full. God has not saved us to let the house of God lie in waste. God has not saved us to just maintain the house of God. But God has saved us to build the house of God. And I've already talked about this spiritually, but we could even uh, apply this physically. This probably upset one or two. But I believe the physical house of this facility is important to God. I know many like to sound spiritual by stating uh, the outward appearance shouldn't matter. But I want to tell you it does. Your outward appearance to other people matters. Why wouldn't this building matter? Isn't it interesting that in other endeavors we say if we could just reach one soul, it'd be worth it all. Why don't we take that approach when it comes to our facility? Well, nobody's really going to make a decision about a church on the way it looks. <laughs> really? You know how I many are in Catholicism and Mormonism and the fancy church down the road? Now, I, I, don't worry, I'm, I'm going I'm to make all you feel better in just a minute. But for some reason, when we get to the physical building, we act like the lost world is supposed to be spiritual enough to look past the external aesthetics. Now, if we were living under persecution, fine. <laughs> we'll meet in a pole barn. We're not living under persecution in America. We don't have an excuse to dismiss the appearance of the house. What if beautifying the house of God would reach one soul? Oh, it'd be worth it all, preacher. It'd be worth it all. <laughs> well, of course, we'll say yes in here. But when I list all that needs attention, what gets done? Yep, preacher, I'm with you. If we reach one, it's worth it all. 
Really? What if I said we needed to go to two services? We're going to talk about that tonight. Let's, let's not get radical, preacher. It, it's so funny to me how we'll say things like if we reach one, it's worth it all. But when it comes to getting uncomfortable, it's no longer worth it. God was very particular about how the tabernacle needed to look. He was very particular with how the temple was to look. I, that thing was worth a lot of money in those days and in these days. And, 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 and God wanted it to look a certain way. It was a beautiful building. In fact, some have called it the eighth wonder of the ancient world. And the heavenly city that God is preparing is going to be something. So I do say God is concerned about this facility, how it is presented to the public. First impressions mean a lot. Adrian walked into Chick-fil-A that night. First impressions. She didn't look like she was paying attention, so I had to get her attention. First impressions mean a lot. What will someone think as they pull into the parking lot? What will someone think as they walk into the building and maybe up to the building and see that we finally re-landscaped? <laughs> what will they think when they first see the foyer? It's important. So when the nice leather furniture gets here for the foyer, don't freak out. Thank you, Lisa. We know that individual believers are the temple of God. God is concerned about how we dress ourselves physically. And when we assemble together, God is concerned how we look and how the building in which we gather in looks. Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way because I know somebody's saying, oh, man. I'm not suggesting that a church is wrong if they meet in a school. I'm not suggesting they're wrong if they meet in a barn, so long as that's the best they can do. And on the other hand, I have to say that I think God is disappointed with these churches that have these million-dollar chandeliers. That's a stupid waste of money. Go to the second store. What is it called? The Restore. At least they'll know. Lisa, where's coupons? Well, I found some here. Thank God. So I, I'm, I'm just simply saying, we, don't be excessive about the thing. We have a very modest building here. There's nothing wrong with that. But it does become a problem if we let the facility become dilapidated. What kind of testimony is that? Whatever we do have, it needs to be taken care of. I've been saying over the last two years that we need to build a new facility And I believe it needs to be done right. Not excessive, but right. But we must start investing in that endeavor. You see, we can't just sit idly by, idly by, and expect God to drop millions of dollars into our laps. 
just because we deserve it because we're Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. But we need to be about the Father's business. We need to be pleasing and glorifying God. We need to honor God with our increase, and then maybe we'll see exponential financial blessings from God. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. I don't believe God is just going to hand us all we need to build another facility until we show him that we are about his business. And the heart of God, tying all this together, the heart of God is reaching souls. And that's how our heart can be perfect towards him, among other things, such as obedience. But as his eyes are moving to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him, it's going to be the churches who have the heart of God reaching the lost. Building the temple of God. I believe God does want us to build a new facility with lots and lots of parking, Walmart style. Shopco's for sale. Anybody got 8.7 million? God does. Man, I was praying one day about that and I thought, nine million dollars. And then God's like, nine dollars and nine million is the same to me. What? Listen, we, we can't have the attitude that once we get a larger facility, then we'll get busy. We have to be busy now. So where are we going to put them? Be back tonight. So God says, get back to work at what you should have been doing all along. This was the remedy for their lack They didn't have great harvest. They were not filled. Their thirst was not quenched. Their clothes didn't warm them. And it was like money being put into a bag with holes. (laughs) We briefly looked at verses 9 through 11 last week. But let's look a little bit more closely. Look again. It says, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruits. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Verse 6 says, they sowed much, and so it stands to reason that they would look for much. I'm assuming that if you work 60 hours in a week, you expect 60 hours worth of pay. If you're on hourly pay, if you're salary. (laughs) I'm on salary. It stands to reason that they would look for much. But it was was little. It It came to little. And the Bible says what they were able to bring in, God blew upon it. Usually when God is said to blow upon a crop... It's while it's in the field, it would stunt the growth. It would be a dry, blasting kind of a wind. But this says God blows upon it after it's brought home. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know this. It came to little. 
I want to read to you from Spurgeon's morning and evening devotional from this verse, uh, Haggai 1.9. And here's what he wrote on this. Churlish, that must have been a good word back then. Churlish souls stint their contributions to the ministry and missionary operations and call such saving good economy. In other words, those who are stingy and they say they're not going to give to God so that they can save a little bit, they, they think they're being wise financially. Little do they dream that they are thus impoverishing themselves. Their excuse is that they must care for their own families. And they forget that to neglect the house of God is the sure way to bring ruin upon their own houses. Our God has a method in providence by which he can succeed our endeavors beyond our expectation or can defeat our plans to our confusion and dismay. By a turn of his hand, he can steer our vessel in a profitable channel or run it aground in poverty and bankruptcy. It is the teaching of Scripture that the Lord enriches the liberal and leaves the miserly to find out that withholding tendeth to poverty. In a very wide sphere of observation, I have noticed that the most generous Christians of my acquaintance have always been the most happy and almost invariably the most prosperous. I have seen the liberal giver rise to wealth of which he never dreamed. And I have as often seen the mean, ungenerous, churl descend of poverty by the very parismony. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Uh, by which he thought to rise. Men trust good stewards with larger and larger sums, so it is frequently with the Lord. He gives by cartloads to those who give by bushels. <laughs> I laugh because of what he had to say. Nowadays we say, you know, we give a teaspoon and God brings it in with a backhoe. It's probably like, what's a backhoe? He, okay, where wealth is not bestowed, the Lord makes the little much by the contentment which the sanctified heart feels in a portion which the tithe has been dedicated to the Lord. Let me, let me interpret that real quick. In other words, those who are givers... Trusting God, they may not have large sums of money, but man, they are content. Selfishness looks first at home, but godliness seeks first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Yet in the long run, selfishness is loss and godliness is great gain. It needs faith to act towards our God with an open hand, but surely He deserves it us. And all that we can do is very poor acknowledgement of our amazing indebtedness to his goodness. Now, I really like what he wrote. Judah had taken their resources that belonged to the work of the house of God, and they were using them on themselves. And that's what we do when we don't honor God with our first fruits. You say, well, I've got to have that money to pay this bill. No, the first thing you ought to do is honor God. And then trust that God's going to meet that need. Well, God doesn't operate that way. I can give you testimony that he does. I can't remember who said it. Somebody came to family camp years ago and said, see if I can get this right. Tithe, bills, needs, wants. That's the order in which you should pay. Sit down with your stuff. You honor God, right off the top. That's how Uncle Sam's going to take it from you. 
right off the top. Then you pay your bills. It'd be nice to have water. Then you take care of your needs. And then whenever's left over, go party. Hey, man. I love talking about money in church. So they were taking what belonged to God's work, using it for themselves. And they had thought that with the building program being on hold, they were going to have all this excess for themselves. But God had turned their hoped profits into a loss. Proverbs 11.24 says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. In other words, those who will give liberally will receive gain. But those who withhold what they should give, thinking they will have an increase, are really on the road to poverty. That's not me talking, that's the Bible. I'm giving you a Bible. Proverbs 11.25, the next verse says, The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. As we give, we are blessed. That's what the Bible teaches. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And the more we water others, the more we are watered ourselves. And as Brother Spurgeon stated, those who aren't blessed with material wealth as a result of their sacrificial giving, they are blessed beyond measure with contentment, peace, and joy, knowing that God is responsible now to meet all their needs. I want you to see in verse 9 that God was being very clear about what their problem is. Do you realize that much of Christianity is not that hard to figure out? (laughs) We just like to overcomplicate things. God asked the question, why? Why do you have so little? And God's answer, because my house is in waste and you run every man into his own house. Every man was doing as they saw fit. And it sounds very reminiscent to the days of Judges when every man was doing that which was right in their own eyes. But it wasn't something of great difficulty to figure out. Stay with me now because this is going to be important application. It wasn't some deep truth that they had not yet understood, but it was simply a lack of doing, uh, not doing what had already been clearly revealed to them in the Word of God. God's word had told them, get to work. As soon as pressure came, they stopped. And it wasn't like the answer to get things back on the right track was very difficult. It wasn't hard to find. People act like they can't figure out the Christian life. Like it's some kind of deep theological maze that only the few can find their way through. But it's really simple. And for those who are overcomplicating it, they simply are not reading and meditating in God's Word. If 
God is clear in His Word. He prefers obedience over sacrifice. God is clear that we need to do the basics. Church. I've got five things. You should know them by now. Church, prayer, Bible study, witnessing, giving. That's Christianity 101. But how many don't even get those things figured out? Is it okay that I'm just telling you like it is? Or Okay. God wants simple obedience to what he has already revealed to you in his word. It's not a conspiracy. It's not some hidden biblical code. Well, that got me curious how many books are out there on Bible codes. Man, there's too many to list. There's this code and that code and that and that. Just read the word of God. People want the Christian life to be complicated so they can feel better in their disobedience. It's not Sunday morning or I would. It's Sunday school. Some go to these hidden message conspiracy theory books in hopes of finally figuring out what it is the Bible wants them to do. What it really means. What is it really saying? God doesn't hide His Word from us. God hasn't made this thing difficult. Jesus said plainly, If ye love me, keep my commandments. What's so hard about that? Because He only narrowed them down to two. Just love people. <laughs> and love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Anyway. Judah may have wondered year after year why they were bringing in little when they were sowing so much, but the answer was right in the open, right out in front of them, right there in the city. In the center of it was this temple laying in ruins. It wasn't something hard to figure out, but we overcomplicate. And here's what happens. People who are struggling with their walk with God, they'll come for counsel. And I'll ask them every time. I don't think anybody in here necessarily, but if you've ever come to me, you know this is what I always say. All right, are you faithful to church? Do you have a prayer life? Do you read your Bible? Are you giving and are you witnessing? Well, no. And, and here's some of the, here's some of the, the code words. Uh, well, I've been getting better at it. Well, that's code for you're not doing it. And, and I'll ask those five things. Are you doing this in your life? And without fail, at least one of them is no. Usually it's all of them, but you say, boy, you're putting a lot of stock in that. I'll put it to you this way. I've never had somebody come um, who was doing all those. I'm not talking about people who need help with something. I'm talking about people who are trying to figure out the Christian life. That's all I'm saying. I'm not talking about marriage problem. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about that. And that's why you struggle in your walk with God and don't experience the blessings of God upon your life 
because you aren't even doing the simple things clearly revealed in the Word of God to us. It's, it's, it's not hard. It's right there in the open. It's not hard to figure out. We just need to stop making it difficult. And God says, because my house is lying in waste, because you have forsaken my clear command to rebuild the house, you're not being blessed. For this cause, God held back the dew, the Bible says. For this cause, God had stayed the earth from yielding her increase. For this cause, God brought a drought upon the land. And for this cause, God brought a drought upon all the labors of their hands. That's still how God operates today. This is why we see droughts and pestilences and famines. Not because of some man-made conspiracy about climate change. It's because the world is not right with God. We can argue that if you want. I was a meteorologist for 21 years. We have forsaken the basic commands of God. I mean, how far in debt are we now? 22 trillion? I don't even know. I stopped looking at the clock. Well, I thought God would bless no matter what. Well, not according to the Bible. There are plenty of places where God gives you an if-then scenario. If you'll do this, then you can expect that. It's no secret. God doesn't play mental games with His children. Seeing if we can figure it all out. I'll conclude with what I feel the lesson for today is. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We must keep God first. We cannot forsake God and his work and then expect to be blessed. Listen to this in Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. If we'll honor God with what is his, with the first fruits of all of our increase, then we'll have plenty. I don't know what that looks like for you. I know what it's looked like for me. You know, I'm not, I'm not rolling in it. We're not going to investors and saying, hey, what can you do with this? But man, God's met every need. And, and like I said recently, he's gone above that and given us some wants. I'm not giving you some prosperity gospel. That's the Bible. I read you the verses. Let's get back to the work of God and we'll be blessed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for the word. And I pray that uh, we, your children, would be just considering our ways and that we would be busy about your business, that we would build the temple with spiritual stones, lives, souls. Lord, just help us to keep the main thing the main thing, to seek you first.
Now, God, help us as we go into the morning service. Lord, it'd be such a blessing if your spirit would just come settle in here so that we could do nothing but just stand in awe of you. This thing isn't about us, it's about you. God, you do whatever you want to do today. And I ask you to do it for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you.